Well, let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just want to lift up um, today's message to you, Lord, this wonderful story of David and Goliath and how, through your might, Lord, that we can do anything. So I just ask that uh, each one of our hearts are open to hear from you, to um, have courage in you. And so we give you this time, ask that you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, story of David. We have heard of him since we were kids, haven't we? I mean, everybody has heard all about David and Goliath. Even people who don't know the Lord have all heard about David and Goliath. It's a very famous story. Um, he was fantasized. He was made larger than life. But, you know, we learned later on that David was a sinner. And even later on, as he was getting older, he became an invalid. And so... You know, he's just a guy like us. There's nothing special about David except that he was a man after God's own heart. He loved God. And um, David gives us hope. You know, he made so many mistakes after his victory um, with Goliath, and yet God still used him. But he was a shepherd, nothing special, son of Jesse, great-grandson of Boaz and Ruth, who we learned about last week. That's kind of fun. And he was uh, the great-great-great-grandson of Rahab the harlot. So, you know, it's a wonderful story of how God just uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Um, But he was a human full of faults, and yet God used him. Why would he do that? Does it... What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? And that is the true question. And that is the real story here. Um, to be a woman after God's own heart is someone who is willing to obey and follow God. That's, I know that sounds very simplistic, but that really is the truth of it. Um, it, does, it sounds easy, but you know, those of us who have been walking with the Lord, even at you know, 25, 30 years, I'm still struggling. So this is something that we fight with all the time. And um, the key is obedience. And we will always fail at complete obedience. I know I do probably, well, I know every day I fail at obedience. But our reaction to that obedience is what will tell if you truly want to be obedient at all. Um, If we truly hate our disobedience, if we truly hate our sin, then that's when we have victory. So many times I will be talking with people who will come in and they'll go, well, I just can't seem to get victory over this particular sin. And I I hate to make things real simple, but I just say, you know, it's because you don't hate it. It's when we hate the sin, that's when you get victory over it. You have to be repulsed by your sin. And if you are at that point... That's when you begin to have victory in that area. And then, um, I mean, I could make a whole study um, just on that particular subject. But um, if you're not truly repentant, and having unrepentance in your heart will keep you from God's best. And we'll see that later in God's life. But here we see David in complete communion with God. I mean, he would sit out and, and take care of his sheep and just pray and sing to God. I mean, this was his life. He was just, him and God were like best buds, you know. Nothing could stand between them. And that is what makes the difference between a person greatly used by God and someone who is unfruitful, unfaithful, frustrated in their Christian walk. And um, 
David now comes to the battlefield as our young Mary Margaret so eloquently uh, described. Um, <laughs> in our story, David is visiting the camp where his brothers are. You know, what's it? She said, 10 loaves of bread and cheese and all that kind of stuff. I, just, I have no idea why she would go so animated into that, but I loved it because it really just kind of gave a picture of what was happening. But David surveys the situation and says, oh, that Goliath, he's no big deal. How can he say that? Well, because the communication he had between him and God made it so David didn't fear those things. He felt comfortable with his relationship. And he knows that God can do this. He knows that it's not anything that he can do in himself, but God does it through him. And that is key. And if you go into a situation thinking that you're all that, then you'll be defeated. Um, As most of you know, I love to sew. And as I've gotten older, I've noticed that, you know, my brain doesn't quite work the way it used to work. I don't know. I know you ladies, none of you have that problem. But, you know, things that used to be very easy for me, I have to think through it now. And so I have learned through making a couple of mistakes, and I won't describe them because they're very humiliating, um, and because, you know, I've, uh, I mean, I sew a lot, so I shouldn't be making mistakes, but I do. And so uh, I have learned now, especially if I'm making or fixing something from so- for someone else, I have to pray. If I don't pray, then I am just putting myself out there to make a big mistake. And this is something simple. I mean, this is sewing. It's no big deal. Think about it, if you're going up against a giant. And, of course, we all have giants in our lives. And you, you know what I mean by that. And so <clears throat> that is what David is, is thinking. You know what? I... I can't do this in myself, but here is this giant who is mocking the children of God, and he says, I can't have this. And so he decides, hey, I will do this. But what happens? He immediately comes up against opposition, doesn't he? Um, Mainly his brother Eliab. Now, what happened in 1 Samuel 16, and I'll read briefly, um, this was David's anointing by the prophet Samuel. Uh, Samuel knew that uh, King Saul was not supposed to be the real king. But that's how we look at people. When the Israelites said, we want a king, they said, oh, Saul, he's, he's it. Man, he is tall, dark, and handsome. It didn't matter that he was a, I just call him a big baby, because when he was supposed to be crowned king, where was he? He was hiding in the kitchen. He was, high. he was scared. He didn't want to go out there. And so he really wasn't the anointed of God. But they said, you know, we want a king and we really like this guy. I mean, he, he fits the bill, they thought. But, you know, God looks at the heart. And so he sends Samuel. He says, Samuel, I want you to anoint the real king of Israel. So he goes to Jesse's house. And he says, so it was that when they came, that he, meaning Samuel, looked at Eliab and said, surely this is the Lord's anointed is before him, thinking that, oh, yeah, well, you know, Eliab, he's the firstborn, he's tall, dark, and handsome. It's like we don't seem to learn, do we? But God said, nope, nope, that's not him. And so Jesse brings this succession of all his sons, and finally there were no more, and Saul says, "This is, is there any more? I could have sworn God told me to come to your house and anoint the new king of Israel. And so Jesse says, well, you know, there's my youngest son. 
but he's out tending the sheep. Saul, excuse me, Samuel says, well, bring him in. Let's see what, you know, the Lord does. And so as soon as David walked in, sorry, I have a runny nose today. Um, he says, that's it. And so David was anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. Now, you can imagine how all the other brothers felt, especially Eliab, the firstborn. And so he's, you know, got this chip on his shoulder. And we've learned from past stories. Uh, you remember the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors, that kind of thing. You know, his brothers were real jealous. And what did they do? They ended up throwing him in a pit. Well, I guess David was um, lucky that he didn't get thrown into a pit. But still, there was this uh, animosity towards him. And we see this when um, he goes, well, how can you guys just stand here and let this giant mock you? The, the king of Israel, our Lord God of Israel. And so, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard that when he spoke to the men, that Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? <clears throat> I know your pride and insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. I'm going, what exactly brought that on? I mean, that was like so judgmental. But, you know, I have found that oftentimes when people, oh, blessings. <laughs> okay, I'll just keep that nose from dripping on my notes here. <laughs> Sorry. So um, I found it interesting that when somebody comes up against you in this manner, oftentimes they're accusing you of the very thing that they are. Have you ever noticed that? And so here he's accusing David of being prideful and boastful, but when in fact that's exactly what Eliab was doing. So I think God's going to probably deal with Eliab. But um, there are always those that will come against you. Whenever you feel like you want to do something for the Lord, you feel like the Lord is calling you to do something in ministry or in your community, whatever. Have you ever noticed that oftentimes we will have somebody come up to us and try to discourage are you sure you want to do that? You know, like um, you want to sell everything you have and go into the missions field. Well, if the Lord is calling you to do that, that is the best thing for you to do. Correct? But there will be family members. Are you sure you want to do this? I don't think you want to go to El Salvador. You know, didn't you know they got guns firing all the time down there? You know, which is where Brandon and, Austin, uh, Brandon and my, my husband are right now. So, um, but, you know, there are people who will discourage you when you want to feel like you want to step out for the Lord, when you want to do something bold for the Lord. But if you know that the Lord is leading you to do something, it is important for you to do it for him to be a, I would be more afraid of disappointing the Lord than people who are looking out for me as they oftentimes will put it um, but it's the, it's the knowing of God's will that is the most important thing here and one of the biggest hindrances of doing God's will is uncertainty if you ever do that you know, oh I don't know if that's the, God, that, that's the Lord's will or not I do that all the time. And so, how do we know? I'm going to take just a real short uh, detour here because this was important. How did David know that God was leading him to go fight David or Goliath? How did he know? See, that's what I would be. Okay, now I know the Lord can 
beat the giant, but is the Lord calling me to beat the giant? Right? Isn't that the biggest question we have? So how do you know God's will in your life? First, you have to make sure that you're seeking to obey God and um, obey what he's already revealed in Scripture. You know, if God's word says to do it, then obviously that's God's will. That's a no-brainer for us. And I love those kind of things. It's the gray areas that always get me tripped up. And so um, it doesn't really work to ignore God's revealed will, but yet expect God to answer specific questions like where you should go, if you want to minister, go to school, that kind of thing. And oftentimes, you know, we want to skip over what God has said in his word and go straight to the big stuff. Well, he wants baby steps here. First, obey what I have revealed in my word. Okay, that's, that is key. But um, in order to do that, you have to be reading God's word. Correct? And as you read and study God's word and spend time in prayer, your relationship with God grows and you begin to understand God's character. And then you will be in the right place to hear God's instruction in those other areas of your life. In addition to Bible study and prayer, be willing to seek godly counsel. Uh, Your pastor, a mentor, a good godly friend. Don't go to your non-Christian friends because they won't understand. That's just plain silly when you're trying to figure out God's will. You know, they'll look at it as the world does and go, are you crazy? You're going to sell everything and go in the missions field? No, 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 don't do that. That's dumb. So if we're serious about following God's will, we have to recognize that it's not about getting what we want, but what God wants. And we must trust that he is faithful and good in that his will is the best thing for us. And that is is very important, that you trust that he wants the best for you. And um, oftentimes, God will ask you to do stuff that you might not want to do. God may call us to do things that don't feel natural to us at first. And I found this to be true because... um, Years ago, when the church first started, when we were over at the other little building, um, I remember it just, the women's ministry fell into my lap. Ruby, you remember. And um, I said, I can't do this. Are you kidding? I, I can't teach. I, am, I was so afraid of getting in front of people that I would get an F on my oral reports at school because I would not stand in front of a group and, and just read. And so... This was something I was very, very uncomfortable doing. I mean, I can't tell you how uncomfortable. I mean, it scared me to death. And yet, I had this little tiny Bible study group. You know, we started out. There must have been like five of us or something. Kendall, you were there. And... um, But it started small. And as I got comfortable with that group, then I got a little bigger group. And then I remember the first retreat we went on with uh, Calvary Chapel Rancho Fucamonga. And uh, Janice Arate, the pastor's wife there, she calls me up and says, well, since you're bringing your ladies, I think you need to teach. And I'm going, yeah, right. And she goes, no, I'm serious. You need, I think you should teach a session. And I'm going, okay, I'll pray about it. And as I was praying about it, you know, I am scared to death. I, you know, everything within me is saying, not on your life. Not going to do that because there's like 300 ladies there, right? And so and I, I'm thinking, no, no. But then as I, I committed it to prayer and as I was praying, the Lord says, yep, do it. I'm going, oh, you don't understand. This scares me to death. 
do it. If you don't do it, you're disobeying me. For me, it was sin to say no. And so Teresa calls me up and says, so are you going to teach? And I go, well, the Lord told me that if I, if, if I said no, that I was being disobedient and in sin. She goes, I agree. <laughs> so I go, okay, okay. So anyway, so fast forward, how long has it been now? 12, 14 years, something like that. And so now I am still... You know, I, I do get nervous, but it's more excited now when I get in front of people. You know, like, what is the Lord going to do today? This is fun. And so that's how that one step of obedience has taken me to the place I am today. And that's important. That God's not going to just throw you into something that you that is completely out of your league, or so you think. Um, remember the... Going back to our, our little Mary Margaret, and she was talking about how David had slayed the, you know, the, the lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Um, and he practiced. He was confident with his skill with that sling. Now, what I wanted to do is I actually had a sling that the boys had. I couldn't find it. And I was going to get some fake rocks and shoot them at you. But anyway, um, that's just how my brain works. <laughs> fake rocks. Marshmallows, yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, so you see how God was preparing David for this very time. And God does the same thing to you. He's not going to just throw you into something completely unprepared. He knows he's only dealing with, with fallible humans, doesn't he? He knows it. So the bottom line is, do you trust him who created you? He knows what you can do. Because he made you. And that's something that we oftentimes forget. And we need to remind ourselves over and over again that God knows me best. God knows me best of all things, all people. He knows me best. Um, But in the long run, well, many of us have habits that we find comfortable in doing and we enjoy. Okay, that's, that's easy. But in the long run, those things may not meet our deeper spiritual needs. So we could be very comfortable just making, you know, no slide on the coffee maker. I love coffee makers. But, you know, if you don't want to do something, you start out making coffee, but if you don't want to grow and get more involved and more involved, you want to feel comfortable in just doing the one thing that you know, you see how you can put yourself in a box? And, you, and when you put yourself in a box, you put God in a box, don't you? Like, oh, God can't do that through me. God can't do that. No, that's putting God in a box. Remember, he created you. He knows exactly what you can and cannot do. So, um, I used to run quite a bit in my younger years when I was, you know, skinny and healthy. <laughs> and uh, Jeff and I used to run 10Ks every single day. And I remember the first time, the first time uh, I went out running, I thought I was going to die. I mean, those of you who've ever started out running, didn't you think, oh my goodness, I can't do this. I am so exhausted. I can't breathe. My legs hurt, everything. But I did it gradually. And that's how you're supposed to uh, train yourself. You don't expect to go out and run. Uh, 6.5 miles right off the bat, do you? 
That would be silly. You don't expect your body to do that. God doesn't expect you to do that. It's a training process. And in our case, that training is getting to know who created you, God, and um, getting to know him better, understanding his character more so that you can put more trust in him. And so, um, likewise, when we start down a path of doing the work God calls us to do, we will find great joy in doing that, knowing that we are at the center of God's will. As I've gotten older, I have found out how unfruitful it is for me to hold back from God, from what God wants for my life. And I remember um, how I would just make excuses as to why I would not do something that I know the Lord was calling me to do. And you can think of all sorts of excuses. You know, but Lord, you don't understand. I stutter. Lord, you don't understand. You know, this, and he's going, you know, what's this I don't understand? I made you, remember? And yet that's what we do, isn't it? And so... Um, that is what I call opposition in my own heart. Not only will we be discouraged sometimes by outward people, you know, those people that have the gift of discouragement, as Jeff says. Um, this is opposition in my own heart. I am my own worst enemy most of the time. And what is it in our own heart that can op- oppose us? And I had to really search my heart. And I say, you know what? For me, it's, it's my pride. It's like, what will people think of me? If I go up to a complete stranger at Costco and give them a tract or tell them about Jesus, they might say something mean. You know, and for me, I just kind of go, I can't do that, you know, and I panic. You know, and God goes, okay, later, later, I'll, I'll figure somebody else to, to talk to that person. But, you know, I always feel so defeated when I know God is calling me to do something, like approaching a complete stranger, and then you disobey him, and then you go, oh, I'm just so bad. You know, how could I have done that? I disobeyed God again. But you know what? He loves me, and he understands. You just say, sorry, Lord, blew it again. And he says, well, we'll do better next time, right? Yeah, I'll try. I'll try to do better next time. But we don't want to look uncool. Uh, we're, we're afraid of what others think. And these are things that point to pride in ourselves, not willing to be a fool for God. I mean, that's tough. And we must worry about disobeying God more than looking like a fool to others. I mean, fear um, who should we feel fear the most? Others or God? Matthew 10:28 says, "Do not fear those who kill the body, but, not, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell." Jesus said that, and I think we should listen to that. So um, we have pride, we have fear, we also have unworthiness. So many times I hear people say, oh, God can't use me. That's not true. God uses everyone, everyone. And so if you have named the name of Christ, then remember he will continue to do that work in you until the day you die. And he is continuing to perfect you, to become more Christ-like. And we need to remember that. Um, None of us are worthy to be in his service. Keep that in mind. Not one of us here are worthy. I don't care if you've been a Christian since you were three years old. You are not worthy. But God makes us worthy. God makes us pure. He makes us righteous. And so I just remember that God created you for a purpose. 
He's given you all gifts. You just need to seek out what those gifts are. And it's, you know what's the fun thing about that? It's usually things that you enjoy. Before I even started teaching, I would have, like, and I was cracking up when Mario was saying that he was just driving last night. He spoke at the study, and he was saying he was just driving in his car, and the Lord gave him a study. Well, before I ever started teaching, I would have all these studies swirling in my head, and I'm going, why, do, why am I thinking this? There's no way I am ever getting in front of people and teaching this study. But I was always having all these things going through my head. And I'm going, that is really weird. But you know what? That's because God was preparing me. So when it happened, even though I was resistant at first, I still knew. You know, I knew this coming. I saw this coming. I knew God has been preparing me for it. You know, that and being a pastor's wife, it's kind of expected. But um, it it was just an amazing thing um, that he had created me specifically for that purpose. So going back to our story of David, David was comfortable in who God had created him to be. And God did not have David going cold turkey, as I said. You know, he was getting pretty skilled with that, that sling. And what did it do with that gal? She Is that what she did? She was so cute. Um, but the most important thing about David facing Goliath is that he knew that without God, he was in great trouble. Um, he must not go against Goliath without God. And that's true with any giant that's in our lives. Remember what happened to Joshua and the Israelites? Um, we've been studying that on Wednesday night. Well, the Israelites, uh, to kind of backtrack on that story, the Israelites had been winning battle after battle after battle. You know, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, all this kind of stuff. So they're thinking, you know, I got this, you know. You know what, Lord? Just take the day off. We can take out this next army of Amorites, you know. Uh, we got this. And what happened? They went and they got totally spanked. And it's because they did not depend on God for their victory. All the other times when they had a victory against all these armies, they depended on God. They sought God in his will. And so um, I found that to be so true in my own life that if I say, "Uh, God, I've got this one, you know, you can just take the day off. Oh, boy, I just make such a mess of things. And so it's important, really, really important that even if it's something that we can do really well, like me and my sewing, you always need to have God go before you. And so when David went up against Goliath, what did he say? Verse 45 says, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And then this assembly shall know that the Lord, God, that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. That is faith. David really knew the God he served. So our battles as Christians are not of this world, the Bible tells us. Uh, we must depend on God to fight our battles. That is so important. There's, so much, there's too much at stake to not let him fight your battles. 
And um, I noticed in my own life that if I don't first commit it to prayer, then no matter how many victories I've had in the past, God will remind me that I still need to go to him. So I love the whole story of David. And after this uh, great victory, you know, David eventually did become king. And um, none of this, of course, took God by surprise that he made some really bad decisions later on in his life. He committed adultery. He had uh, that woman's husband murdered and all sorts of things. So I'm going, how does this sound like a, a, a man after God's own heart? Well, you know what? David was repentant. And doesn't that give us encouragement? Even when we have really, really, really blown it and have backslidden, you know what? They say it could take years to backslide, but only a second to come back. And I love that about my Lord. I love it. And so God still chose to use David in this really important lesson to the Israelites. And um, I think that by stepping out in faith, By not stepping out in faith, we will disappoint God more than stepping out in faith and perhaps stumbling a time or two. Isn't that true? He wants you to at least try, and each time it gets easier. What did uh, Thomas Edison say? You know, all the times that he um, failed at creating the light bulb? He says, I just learned another way not to do it. So he didn't look at it as a failure. He looked at it as, you know what? I'm learning. I'm learning. It's the same way with our walks. You know, God knows You won't surprise him when you fail. But he loves you, regardless. So, anyway, how was how big was this giant? I had to look this up. He was nine and a half feet tall. That's a big guy. Okay? That would be like me going up against uh, LeBron James, you know, and saying, okay, a little one-on-one, you and me, you know. Uh, that, That'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? I can't even shoot a basket. You know, and he would just, you know, dunk it right in front of me. He'd jump over me and dunk it. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the, the vision I get. And they say the average height of a person back then was around five feet. And David was only a teenager at this time, estimated somewhere around 16, maybe even younger. But so we got this little five-foot guy and a nine-and-a-half, almost twice, you know, so... Huge, huge difference between size. And so um, David was only armed with a slingshot and five stones. So anybody want to know why there was five stones? Goliath. (laughs) Teresa wants to know. Okay, Goliath. Goliath had four brothers. They were all as big as him. I mean, can you imagine the poor mom? Oh, my goodness. But anyway, so there was five of these giants. So David said, I need five stones in case each one of the brothers comes down to challenge me. Isn't that fascinating? He had that much faith. And I'm going, okay, so you figured that one stone per giant. That is faith. That is amazing to me. It's like not only was he confident he could slay one giant, but he was prepared for God to use him to slay five giants. And so he came in the name of the Lord of hosts. So from a human standpoint, this seems impossible. From God's standpoint, Goliath was just a mere human. That's all he was. He was a created being who was probably fairly stupid, 
<laughs> I kind of like, you know how usually bullies are, are, are kind of stupid? You know, they're just, you know, they, they're trying to make up for their, their lack of intelligence or something. You know, that's how, you know, when I remember bullies in school, that's what they were like. You know, so anyway, that is how we must see impossible situations. Uh, Jesus in Luke 18:27 says, "The things which are possible, impossible with men, are possible with God." You need to remember that. And of course, we all know Philippians 4:13, "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." Remember that one. Memorize that one. It's very important. So the the question is, do you truly, truly believe this? And we can commit this verse to memory, but we can we actually put it into practice, or do we want to cop out when we say, oh, but God, you don't understand. Of course he understands. And always remember that he asked you to do something he knows you can do because he created you. So faith is key here. So um, how do we get more faith? Well, the Bible tells us, number one, you ask God. If you need more faith, ask him. And he will give it to you. And then learn more about him. How many of you have faith in somebody you've just met? No. Nobody puts their hand up. Of course not. Why? You don't know them. You don't know their character. So how do you know their character? By getting to know them better. And so it's the same way. How can we have faith in God if we don't study his character? If we don't... Uh, read his word and learn about him. Learn about the God that you serve. Read the Gospels. So important because you really get a sense of who our Lord is. So, anyway, in closing, I will quote Jesus, taken from Luke 12:22. He says, Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body. What you will put on, life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouses nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So David wasn't worried about how short he was, was he? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you so anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet, I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind for all things, all these things the Lord's, that the nations of the world seek after. But your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. What an incredible promise. So that's pretty simple. Jesus is telling us the key to having more faith here is just seeking the kingdom of God above all. All things. It should be the first thing you do when confronted with a giant in your life is seeking God. Pray. How many times do we just, you know, what is that? All is left, you know. You just throw your hands up in the air saying, God can't do this. Of course he can. There's nothing he can't do. So I love that promise. And that is what David believed thousands of years ago. And that is what made him the victor in this battle with Goliath. Um, Goliath is 
like the accuser of our souls, isn't he? Remember how Goliath was saying, oh, you are just a dog. Well, we have the enemy of our souls telling us that very thing. He tries to discourage you. He tries to uh, get you to back away because he'll put fear into your heart. And, that's, and it was working on the rest of the Israelites, wasn't it? But it didn't work on David. Why? David trusted in God. That was the most important thing. And so we need to trust that our own creator, the person that create, created your very being, trust him that he will fight those battles for you. And whether um, you're going through difficult times or not, um, he is always there. And he knows you can't fight those giants and win. He knows that. So he's just waiting for you to ask. He wants you to um, depend on him in those situations. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, so many of us look at the giants and think that you know all is lost and there's nothing we can do. But God, help us. Give us the faith to depend on you for each one of the situations that come against us, that we will be able to depend on you no matter what is going on, Lord. No matter what giant it is, there is nothing that is too big for you. So help us to truly grasp that concept, Lord. Help us to meditate upon it. And as we divide up into our groups, we just um, ask that you uh, just further uh, ingrain this, this concept in our hearts. We thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.